0: Acts chapter 17, we're not going to be moving much this evening, we ended uh, last week going to Athens, if you remember, from Thessalonica down to Athens, you guys can see it there for yourselves, that's where we're at uh, this evening as we go into this, Lord tarries next week we'll start following more to Corinth and so forth. Paul now has come to Athens. It tells us that in verse 15, they conducted Paul, they brought him to Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus to come to him with all speed as soon as they can, then the folks that were with him from Berea departed. They went back. So Paul now is alone in Athens. It tells us this in verse 16. Now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly, completely given to idolatry. So Paul now in Athens. He is a Hellenist. He was raised in the culture. He understood the polytheism. He understood how the Greek culture had influenced the world, uh, certainly in a way that no other time in history in some ways has. Um, The Greeks brought culture, they brought thought, they brought all of these different things. Alexander the Great spread that across the world, the Mediterranean world, even as far as India and so forth, but The Romans then come in and begin to subdue the Greek world. But they didn't conquer the Greek world. The Greek world ultimately conquered them through its teaching, through its language. Paul tells us that Jesus Christ came forward in the fullness of time. There was a language to write the New Testament in that could accurately communicate the heart of God The Greek language was the language that uh, was spoken throughout the Roman Empire. There was Latin and so forth. If you wanted to do business and you wanted to uh, communicate in that world, you spoke Greek as well. So Paul comes to Athens and Athens is in its decline at this point in time. They're about 250 to 300 years after their highest point, when they were prospering and flourishing and encouraging the world, this center point of thought in this world, Paul comes there and he looks around. You know, they had Socrates and Herodotus and Medes and Plato and Aristotle, and they had philosophy and logic and physics, and biology, and ethics, and political science, Uh, Pericles, Homer, Hisius, Pythagoras, astronomy, geometry, science, hydrostatics, remarkably. They wrote laws on how to set up a library. They had laws. They had democracy. They had a republic, a parliament. All of these things kind of passed down. And Luke, having received his medical license in this world after at least minimum of of six years of study, usually more, and he was licensed to practice anywhere in the Roman world then. And no doubt a great scholar, we can tell God chose him to record these things and many of the medical practices remained the same up t- up till the 1800s. Really, some some of the things they did were remarkable. So Paul steps into the middle of this scene, and it tells us here. It says, "When he waited for them at Athens." Now Paul wasn't there as a tourist; he was there as a missionary. So he gets there. And it says his spirit was stirred uh, within him. Uh, Luke uses a particular word there when he tells us that, and it, it was being or becoming aggravated. Uh, Doctor Luke, the, it's a medical word. The only other time it's used is in 1 Corinthians chapter thirteen, mm-hmm. verse. I'll get there and I'll read it for you. Um, it says, love is not easily provoked. That's our word here, stirred. So Paul, when he gets there, he's sitting, he's looking, he's waiting. And this is, the again, the, the capital of geniuses, of world thought, of world influence. And Paul, as he sits there and looks at it, they're wholly given to idolatry. The whole city's given over to it. And he sees how it's fallen. He sees man's need to worship. He sees man's need for spiritual things and man's need for God. But bowing down, they say there were at least 3,000 temples and altars. And some say as high as 20,000 statues, gods. But there were 3,000 altars and temples in Athens. And Paul's looking at it, and, and he says he's provoked. He's in his spirit. He's angered. He sees what's going on when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now, it's, we're gonna we're gonna come down here. It's gonna tell us about the Epicureans and the Stoics. They were left over. their hundred year leftovers. But the Stoics. Um, originally, uh, Zeno was their their founder, they had ethics and they had morals. They believed that you would not indulge in just the physical, the sexual, that you were to live a certain way and then you were above fleshly things, uh, you were to live that way. The Epicureans, Epicurus, um, they believed that you had to experience life And they said the highest calling a man was to experience pleasure, but they said pleasure was your family, your children, your lifestyle, earning a living. That's the way the Epicurean philosophy began. Now it's 300 years later. And the Epicureans believed that finding pleasure was being with harlots and prostitutes. The finding pleasure was having revenge on your enemy. The finding pleasure was indulging in everything imaginable. And it had so deteriorated, uh, the Stoics still, you hear of someone who's stoic, you know, they kind of stood off, they were better, and there was tension between the Epicureans and the Stoics, but they still debated together, they still talked but here you had this empire and in 300 years from its zenith it has deteriorated unimaginably and i think there's lesson in that for us 300 years ago you know somebody wrote we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We no longer understand what freedom is. Freedom then was freedom from tyranny, it was freedom to worship, it was freedom to work your land and care for your family. Now it's freedom to practice immorality, freedom to get high freedom to, to, you know, lacerate somebody else with your tongue. Now, free, we don't understand freedom. We don't know what to do with freedom because we're sinful. So now we're free to sin in a hundred different ways. Well, the, it's, it's the history of mankind. The same thing happened here with the Epicureans and the Stoic. And by, by the time Paul gets there and he looks what's going on, he's completely greed. You know, he's at Athens. He's in the middle of it all. He was raised a Hellenist. And he gets there, and he looks what's happening, and he's completely undone. He's provoked. He's anger. It says, (coughs) therefore, because of this, disputed he in the synagogue first with the Jews, and it doesn't tell us whether he made any progress in that dispute or not, because no doubt they took certain pride being in Athens. And it says, and with the devout persons civil leaders, and in the market daily with them that met with him. In the market is the agora. That was the public place. Um, If you have agoraphobia, you're afraid to be out in public. You're afraid to be with other people the agora was the place where people came they dialogued it was a market there was an open square and in athens it was very much a place where where constantly there was debate and conversation about philosophy and so forth all of these things so paul goes disputes with the jews we don't know what came out of that we don't hear in this account of any of them being saved he speaks to devout persons people who claim to be religious And in the marketplace, the Agora, daily, day in and day out, with them that met with him. And so it seems that as he's going, he's drawing a crowd. And every day they're saying, let's go talk to this guy Paul again. Let's hear what he has to say. So they're coming and they're meeting with him. They met with him. And certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics... They encountered him. Now, they're in the marketplace. Word is spreading through the people, so now some of the other folks are coming with their PhDs and their masters in philosophy, and they're coming. The Epicureans and the Stoics are showing up. They encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others said he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached to them jesus and the resurrection so they say well let's go see what is this babbler talking about now it's made of two greek words one is seed and the other one's to pick the seed picker somebody who picks up seeds are saying this guy's picking up a seed of this and a seed of that <clears throat> in fact it, it inferred a bird brain What's this bird brain, you know, gonna say? This seed picker, he's picking up an idea here. And they made fun of those people, called him a babbler. They don't really have a real philosophy. They just have all these strange ideas. What's this seed picker gonna say? What do you think he's gonna say today? He says, for he, he, he seemeth to set forth these strange gods there in your Bible should be plural. And it's Damion, where we it's translated demon throughout the New Testament. To the Greeks, it wasn't demon. They're just spirit beings. They didn't think of it the way the Jews would think, or you and I would think of demons. (coughs) But he's setting forth strange gods. And then Luke tells us why. Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. The Anastasis in the Greek was one of their gods, Anastasia. So he's preaching... Jesus this male God and Anastasia. they didn't interpret it as the resurrection they didn't understand the resurrection so they interpret the word as a female goddess well, he's sending forth these gods plural because he's preaching this Jesus and Anastasis and they took him and by the way that's friendly there in the, the, the grammar they, they lead him they invite him they took him and they brought him unto the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine, whereof thou speakest, is. So they take them to the Areopagus. Areopagus was the, the highest hill in Athens. There was always a debate whether looking at the Areopagus from the ground, where the Parthenon was up on the top of the hill, whether that was the most beautiful sight you could see, or going up on top of the mountain... The Areopagus and looking down on the scene was the most beautiful thing. Because, I mean, they, they debated about that and bragged about that. When the Areopagus was formed, the Areopagus was a system of 12 judges. It was down, at, I mean, 24, it's down to 12 judges at this time. And an Areopagite was one of those 12 judges, most respected in Athens, and that oversaw all kinds of things. So he goes to the Areopagus. Areopagus is the Greek. In Latin, it means Mars Hill. So this is Mars Hill, the Areopagus. That's where Paul is. Mars was the Roman god of war, and this is Mars Hill. And Mars Hill had never seen anything like this before. Mars Hill had seen, you know, Socrates. trees. Mars Hill had seen some of these other cats. You know, uh, but they Mars Hill had never seen because it wasn't just his intellect. Here's the Holy Spirit of God speaking from Mars Hill, and Mars Hill had never seen anything like that before. So they bring him here to the Areopagus. We want to hear this new doctrine you're speaking of, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. What does this mean that you're talking about? Luke tells us, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but seed-picking. No, no. They spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing. So they're really the seed pickers, you know, and they, and they get Paul there. Now, it's 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 interesting for us to watch this. He has, he, here he is, and of course he kno- he's homeless. He knows all the Greek philosophers, and he's brought to the most prominent place in the Roman world on earth at that point in mean, time in regards to philosophy and, and science and math and all this, and they bring him there, to speak there and he's standing there and he's he's going to talk to them. There's no TV, there's no media, there's none of that, so this is where people go. This is what this was Facebook was on top of the Areopagus and, and that's where you went. And look what happened there influenced the world without media, without social media. You know Karl Marx said you want to influence the world? Keep the politicians. Keep the generals. Karl Marx said, give me the poets and the musicians, and I'll have the world. He understood the spoken word. He understood the power of music and the arts. Paul's now standing before this crowd. Just I, I can't imagine what was in his heart. It must have been pounding in his chest. Then Paul stood... In the midst of Mars Hill, and said, Ye men of Athens. And I'm sure he's speaking with incredible passion as he's there, because he sees they're wholly given over to believe false things. Their hearts are open in regards to spiritual things, but they're completely misguided. You men of Athens, he says. Now, the interesting thing is we go through this, this is different than all his other sermons, because there's no Jews here. There's no this is strictly in the context of idolatry and philosophy, and he's very specific. He's very sensitive to what they believe. He weaves through with the truth of Scripture some of the main points in Greek philosophy and it's interesting to watch what he does here paul you know what a what an iq you know he says i perceive and of course he's telling the truth i've i've sensed this that in all things you are too superstitious the the greek is you are very religious not too superstitious you're extremely religious you're, you're extremely reverent. I, I, I sense in all things there's spiritual stuff attached to every statue, every altar, every building here, that this whole place is driven by spiritual stuff. He says, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. He says, for as I passed by and I beheld your devotion, your gods and your worship, I found an altar... With this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, I'll tell you who he is. Him declare I unto you. So he said, I saw this this altar to the unknown. We have agnostic, it's agnostos Dios. You know, agnostic... From two Greek words, the prefix A means I don't know. If you're an agnostic, and you can be one, okay? If you want to be an agnostic or if you're listening somewhere, you can be an agnostic. That's honest. That means I don't know. You can't be an atheist because if you say that, you're a liar. But you can be agnostic. To say you're an atheist means I know there is no God. And again, we talked about this, okay? Go through every closet, every hallway, go on the parking lot, go through every car, every trunk, spread across the city, go through every building, you know, across America, (coughs) around the globe, in every cave, in every underwater aquifer, go through all the mountains, go to other planets, go through the universe. I'm an atheist. I know there's no God. No, you ain't. You don't know what you're talking about. You can be agnostic if you want and say, I don't know. That's the Greek. The Latin is ignoramus, same word, but you can do that if you want to. He says, I saw this inscription to the unknown, and he doesn't use God, he uses theos. They used Damion when they spoke about a God, plural, demons, whom you therefore ignorantly worship, him... Declare is set I forth. It's the same phrase when they said to him, you're setting forth strange gods in verse 18. Now he says, I set him forth to you. I declare unto you. Now, here's the amazing thing. The the Greeks are so given to, you know, with their altars and their sacrifices, what they're trying to do is placate their gods. They have all of these temples built to their gods, and then every altar where there was sacrifice or where giving, they're trying to appease the anger of their gods so that they'll be in good with them. Uh, the Stoics believed God was there, but he really didn't involve himself in every ordinary day life. The Epicureans didn't necessarily believe in spiritual things. The Epicureans believed when you died, you that was it. Take the last breath. <laughs> Nothing. You're done. The Stoics believe when you died, there was kind of a spiritual experience, but then you dissolved into dust. They believe you dissolved into molecules and then into atoms. Amazing. So while they were alive, they wanted to placate. They wanted to make any mistakes. So what they did was they had this altar there to the unknown God in case they overlooked a God... They didn't want him to be, you know, have a bad attitude towards them. so they, they built, you know, an an altar to the unknown God. And Paul sees that and says, you know, I'm going to use this. He said, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. There, there is an unknown God. You know who he is. And this is who I'm setting forth. You want know, to we'll talk about these strange things I'm setting forth? This is what I'm doing. And you agree. You have an altar to him. He said, this is the God that made the world, and all things therein, creation. The Stoics believed in that, not as much as the Epicureans. I mean, the Epicureans, not as much as Stoics, but they believed there was a beginning. God made the world, and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and of earth. And because of that, he says, he dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He, he dwells in the heavens. He made all that. You know, Solomon said, you know, God, you know, he can't dwell. The heavens can't contain him. How is he going to dwell in a building when he asked the Lord to bless the, the temple? Here, Paul says, look, he, he's the creator. He made all things. So he can't can be contained in a building. You can't put him in one of your stone temples. He can't be contained there. And by the way, he steals this from Stephen's sermon in chapter 7. He does a lot of that. So he tears down their temples. Then he says, neither is he worshipped with men's hands, listen, as though he needed anything. Your altars, you can't, sack, you can't give, he doesn't need anything. So he tears down the temples first, then he tears down the altars As though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. What are you going to do for him? You're here because he created the world. You're here because he gave you life, he gave you breath, he gave you everything. What do you think you can do for him? I wonder if they're listening, what they're saying, if they're, you know... The, the, he's in the middle of it all, and there's at least one Areopagite that's going to get saved. So the, the council of the 12 are there listening. There's, they have never heard this much truth in one sentence in the history of the Greek culture. He says he made all things. He didn't need anything from you. You've got all these alders. You can't please him that way. And he hath made of one blood all nations, for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times beforehand, before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. He says, He hath made of one blood all nations. Same, you know, people today with technology that study our genes and our DNA have come to the conclusion that there was an original parent to the whole thing. That's, that's all they can do when they, when they trace it, trace it, trace it. Look, we all have the same great 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 grandparents Adam and Eve. And we've been behaving the same way the, 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 you know, their kids, Cain kills Abel. We've been behaving that way ever since. It wasn't they, they hung with different crowds, it wasn't peer pressure, they didn't, one wasn't listening to heavy metal and the other was listening to classic. The, there's nothing, you know. We all got off the boat together. It, the Ark, Noah's Ark. We all got off the boat, we were all the same color, we all had the same parents, we all got off. All y'all are related, everybody in this room you got the same genes, the same blood. We're all made of the same stuff, and we're all family, and we all have the same ancestors. That's what it's saying here. And look, the problem is that the Athenians said that they were the master race. The Athenians believed that they were superior to the rest of the Greek world, Roman world, that they were superior. You have to understand Adolf Hitler, Darwin believed the same thing. Darwin talks about the white races finally will overcome the hallowed, the Turks and the other races. He, He was a bigot and he was a racist, Charles Darwin. And he touched the world. Adolf Hitler adopts that and says then, well, the Aryan race, the blond hair and blue eyes, then they're superior to everybody else and ultimately the Third Reich, the millennium, the next thousand years, they're going to take over. This is tough for him, I guess, with black hair and a black mustache and dark eyes. But, you know, know, this evil that's cost the lives of unimaginable numbers of people Ha, has this idea of a master race or superiority or one race looking down on another. Paul says, and it's been around for thousands of years, but Paul says, no, He, he this God, the one I'm setting forth, hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And then he says this, and he has determined the times before appointed and the boundaries of their habitation. He has decided the rise and the fall of all nations, the rise and fall of the United States, the rise and fall of Greek culture in Athens, appointed it ahead of time. And when Paul was there in Athens, he was not concerned about restoring Athens to its former glory. That wasn't his burden. His burden was to see Athenians saved. And God has not called the church today to restore some type of political or some type of glory to America. That's not our calling. We should vote. We should pray for our leaders. We should be good citizens. If we're good citizens of heaven, we should do our best at that. But God has called us not, not to restore America, but to restore Americans Our calling is to go amongst the lost and see them saved and then feed them and teach them and minister to them, equip them for the work of the ministry. And we can get those signals crossed and it becomes very divisive. But if we're all one family and we're all called to the same thing, there's a little confusion. There's a little confusion. The world is filled with hopeless, depressed, with all their idols and all their philosophies. Suicide is at all time high. Addiction, leading cause of death again in America, fentanyl, not AIDS, not COVID, not fentanyl. We live in the midst of a society that's depressed, self-medicating, you know, abusing medication and drugs, and that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. Paul says, This is the story. This is the God that's made from one blood all nations to dwell on the face of the earth, and he's determined the times beforehand and the boundaries of their habitation, the rise and the fall of these nations, that they should seek the Lord if haply, perhaps, they might feel after him and find him, though he be not very far from every one of us, so he he says here interesting that the reason that God has sustained nations He raises up and takes down cultures and that keeps the history of mankind rolling is that they should seek the Lord if perhaps they might feel now the word there is grope after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us he you know there's enough. I think Russia's nuclear arsenal can destroy the entire planet four times over. Uh, we have a five-Earth arsenal in case we don't destroy the whole planet the first four times we try. You know, you, you you look at what's in this world, and the only reason we're still rolling, the only reason we're still alive tonight is because God sets the boundaries on those things and he provides an opportunity, if perhaps men might grope. It's a picture of a blind man looking. Men might grope after him. He says, though he be not very far from from any of us. It's not, you know, he, he, he's he's omnipresent, which they didn't understand with their altars and their temples. Um, you know, whither shall I go from your spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I go up the heaven and the earth, if I get down to hell, you're the like, utmost oh, parts of the sea, you are there, you know. Uh, o oh Lord, our Lord, our excellent, excellent is thy name in all the earth. Um, you know, out of the bow- mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. The heavens themselves can't contain you, but a little kid can sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, you know. You've set out the sun, the moon, and the stars, the work of thy fingers. What is man that you're mindful of? And he tells us here. He's not, he's not far from from any one of us. And you just go through the New Testament. You find that over and over. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, and so forth. He's not far from every one of us. We we need to learn that. We profess it. We tell it to other people. But there are times and and. I don't want to test out this theory, but there are times when we feel that way. You know, I i was talking to a friend last night, ministry for years, blind in one eye. He said, I'm glad it's not my golf eye. Uh, missing part of one lung, both knees done, both hips done. The one hip that kind of affected, they had to open it back up again and redo it did his shoulder, the shoulder tear out, they had to redo his shoulder, um, cancer, just, you know. And he said, you know, I, I've been all over. I uh, and I was accepted at Trinity, I was in Fuller Seminary, I was at Biola, you know, I've just. And he said, you know, it kind of doesn't bother me anymore. He said, I've come to realize that in those seminaries, you learn Greek, you learn Hebrew, you learn language, you need to, you know, you learn to develop your theology and all. He said, but there's another seminary that nobody signs up for. And he said, Paul talks about when he says, the God of all comfort, may the God of all comfort and the Father of all mercies comfort you in your afflictions, that you might be able to comfort others in their affliction with the same comfort you were comforted with and he said this is another degree it's different than the other seminaries but it's something that we learn Paul is going to say the same thing to us as we move on with him he's going to talk about none of these things move me he's going to talk about the times he was beaten and stoned and shipwrecked And, uh, and still he says none of these things move me you know that the afflictions of this present time aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed. While we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. Things that are seen, temporary. Things that are not seen, eternal. And he says here that human beings, that they might, you know, reach after him. And he's not very far from any one of us, he says. The reason for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your poets have said for we also are his offspring so in him we move we live, move, have our being Epimedes said that one of their poets for we are also his offspring Aratus 315 BC said that and Paul's trying to you know it's like you know like Lennon said all you need is love Dun, 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 dun. You know, he's he's reaching into their world. He's speaking. He's, he quotes several of their one of their philosophers, one of their poets here. He says, "For as much then you you embrace what these guys said, you you know they're 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 part of your claim to fame." Are these guys? <clears throat> he says, "For we are also his offspring, which is erratus, For as much then as we are the offspring of God." We ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by the art and man's device. We have this, you know, you, you, you read some of the historians and philosophers, they say the, there are three spheres that have affected our world today. One of them is Judaism, because for thousands of years they were monotheist, they wrote down their statutes and their laws. They established marriage. They established child raising. They established cleanliness. You know, they established one God. The Greeks, because they brought to us philosophy of republics, um, democracy, all of these philosophies of government, which, you know, Calvin picked up, and, 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 and you know, Britain now has the balance of powers with the cabinet, and so forth. We have the executive and the, you know, the the different branches of government: three of them—judicial, executive, and the legislative branches. That's all comes out of Greece, and then the Romans established law and order like no one else. You know, and out of these things so much that are part of our lives today that we probably don't think very much about. But the sad thing is all of them are steeped in idolatry. The Romans and the Greeks shared much of the same pantheons, these big dispersion of gods that were geographical and for different human wants and desires and sins, and they're so empty. And he he says, you know, Here, when he he talks about it, he says, we're his offspring, and we ought not to think of that Godhead like he's gold or silver or stone or graven art by man's device. If we're his offspring, we're not gold, so we shouldn't think of him that way. The psalmist would say, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Paul just said that. Their idols are silver and gold, "...the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. They have eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. They have noses, they have, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat." And they that have made them are become like unto them. You know, the, the, those who have made these idols, and they, they you know, you, well, I don't understand. And, and Isaiah is even more graphic. He said, you know, a guy goes out in the woods and he cuts down a tree. He brings a tree home. He cuts it up. Some of it he uses in the fire to heat the house. Some of it he makes a table with. The other part he carves in a little got and puts it on a cart and overlays it with gold and you need a You know, when you have to drag your God on a cart, you got the wrong God. You know, here it says, you know, people idolatry, the sad thing is, the truth is they've got nothing to say. They have mouths, they become like their idols. They have mouths, but they speak not. They have eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. And people that turn away from the true and living God and we're surrounded with it have no capacity to hear the truth or speak the truth or see the truth. You look at it and think they're drinking the Kool-Aid. How can they think that? How can they say that? And Paul's telling us right here the same problem with the Athenians because they had embraced all kinds of insanity. They were groping, but they weren't groping after the right God, he says here. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. God was tolerant, but now is the great... Contrast, But now, commandeth he all men everywhere to repent. Now, the Greeks understood that word, metanoia. It was to change the mind. So that's not foreign to them when he says that. He says, God, now this God I'm telling you about, he's commanded. Has it suggested? He hasn't said, well, it's up to you. Come see, come saw. He says, this God has commanded all men, not some, everywhere to repent because the reason is he hath appointed a day and we're really close to some of this by the way I hope the day he's appointed is tomorrow but he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained Wherefore he hath given assurance to all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And this is the thing that the, the Athenians flipped out at because they, they believed that man what, what the, the spiritual part of man wasn't attached to the physical part of man. They believed after this life there was no more physical life. The farthest thing from what they could think was the resurrection, that this flesh where man has all his problems would be raised again and glorified, and it says when he got to that point, that's they said, That's all I can stands, I can't stands no more. Their pipe spun around in their mouth, that was it. That was all they they could handle. <clears throat> and when they heard of the resurrection, that's where I'm at, of the dead, some mocked. Others said, "We'll hear you again later on this matter." So Paul departed from among them, from the area, uh, 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 the, the area of Agapus. And howbeit, certain men clave to him. It means to be glued to. They hung on to him. He couldn't get away. from certain men, clave to him, and notice, and believed. And among them which was Dionysius the Areopagite. So here's his here's his response in in Athens. He couldn't wait to get there. We don't hear nothing about the Jews getting saved. We have no idea. And here, with this great assembly on this mountain, the people are open to spiritual things, it says when he got to the point of the resurrection, some of them mock. They begin to mock him at that point in time. It'll never happen in your world or amongst your friends. This has only happened in, in ancient Greece. It says, some mocked, others said, we'll talk about it later, others believed. So in the presentation of the gospel, there were mockers, there were procrastinators, and there were believers. And we're surrounded with them. You tell people why you do what you do, why you believe, in and, and some of them are going to mock. Don't feel bad, you're in good company. You can sit down and read Paul, you'll feel much better. He's where he was. Some are going to procrastinate, and it drives us crazy because we got kids and parents and relatives and friends. We know they're procrastinating. Yeah, wait a while. I'll sow my wild oats for a while, then I'll get saved. That's a terrible philosophy to live by. That's a terrible philosophy to live by. But we have people we know that procrastinate. Oh, that's good. You know, it's good for you. I don't hold it against you. I respect your beliefs, but it's not good for me. I mean, we'll talk about it later. Maybe someday I'll come around. We're surrounded with people like that as well. But we're also surrounded by those, the light goes on. They believe. How wonderful to see a sister. I saw my mom and dad, a relative, a friend, somebody we work with, somebody we go to school with, light up. The change, And I don't know what they did at the Areopagus after Dionysius, the Areopagite, one out of 12 at least, turned to Christ. And he was one of the 12 judges in Athens. They had to deal with them from, from then on. We don't hear anything else about him in the New Testament. Well, let's look. There's, They departed, certain men believed, among the which was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. <laughs> Dionysius, we hear nothing in the third century. Eusebius, the early church historian, tells us Dionysius became the 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 elder of the church in Athens. And there's a letter he quotes because the bishop, the elder of the church in Corinth, was also named Dionysius, and that he happens to write to the other Dionysius. He takes note of it that's the elder of the church in Athens. And I'm sure he was highly respected, probably highly educated if he was an Areopagite. Damaris, we know nothing about. It's a common name. They try to say, well, maybe she was a temple prostitute, maybe she was this or that. The idea is the fish are biting from the deepest water and from the most shallow water. They're biting. And Paul sees these saved. And a woman named Damaris and others with them. It didn't tell us anything else about that. So you think, you know, what is Paul thinking now as he wraps up? He's going to go now from here to Corinth. He doesn't stay in Athens. We're not sure how long he was there. It didn't seem like he stayed long. He wants to get out of there. He's being urged by the Spirit to move on. And his trip... To Karn from there, it's given him time, no doubt, to think. I'm convinced, personally, that Paul thought, you know, I gave that my best shot. When I got to the resurrection, they made fun of me, but that's when these few people got saved. They, they heard about the, the sacrifice of Christ and the resurrection. That changed their lives. Not me quoting their poets, not me quoting their philosophers, not me trying to make Christianity, you know, culturally relevant. What, what, what changed their lives with this? And I really think that because when we get to Corinthians, Paul's going to say there, uh, he says, For after that in wisdom of the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew him not, it pleased God by the foolishness of the preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews, they require a sign. Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them that are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And I think that is simmering inside of him. It's being distilled. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. He, didn't says, he doesn't say not any. Each place he says not many, because he was, Paul was part of the wise that was called. So he doesn't say not any. He says not many. That's for the rest of us. Not many, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. There was no place like the Areopagus. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound those things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, those things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Paul then says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, that's from Athens, I came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I just tried that, kind of went nowhere. So when I came, I didn't come with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He said this, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul had to determine, because he was a Hellenist. He already proved he could match wits with the Greeks. He could talk about philosophy. He could talk about, you know, all of the things he spoke about. He could do that. So he said, for me, I'm I'm one of the not many wise that were chosen. And the difficulty that presented me is I had to determine, when I spoke to people, not to speak about anything but Christ and him crucified. He said, "That's, that's the power of God. I learned that. And he said, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. He had tried that, but in the power of God. So he, remarkably, he says there. He declaring he was declaring to them the testimony of God. It isn't the testimony about God. It's not objective there. It's God's testimony. You know, some of you heard Raul Reese's testimony, or you know somebody's testimony. They give you their testimony. You hear their testimony. This is not the testimony. The testimony of God is not the testimony about God. It's God's testimony. What's his testimony? It's subjective. God is giving a testimony to this lost world. He gave it to you and I. And that testimony is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified when I made known the testimony of God. He realized this is this is what God would say to the lost world. My son is crucified and risen. Because I love you. You know, we get to Romans and it says who he did before no, he did predestinate and who he did predestinate. You know, he did all this stuff. And then then he says, what shall we say to these things? You know, you watch the church for the last 800 years argue about those things. Predestination, eternal security, depravity, all this. You know, Paul goes to them, he says, What shall we say to these things? Because and, and, he wasn't worried about Calvin or, you know, Erasmus or these. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? The one who's predestined us and called us and elected us. And yeah, What do we say to all that? If God can be for if he's for us, who can be against us? He says here when he came to Corinth, I determined not to know anything among you, but Christ crucified when I made known the testimony, God's testimony, not the testimony about God, God's testimony. And, you know, I I watch him. And, of course, if the Lord tarries, we'll continue in Acts. But you think, here's a guy, you know, the church starts in Galatia. And then he's got to write to them and say, what are you guys doing? You know, having begun in the spirit, you'll be made perfect in the flesh. The church in Galatia, they're, now they're circumcising themselves. They think they, you know. He said, well, what in the world are you guys doing? He writes to the Thessalonians, where he had been before this. He started the church. And he said, I told you about the second coming, but I didn't tell you to stand around and look up in the sky. If a guy isn't working, he shouldn't. I didn't just tell you to stand around and do nothing and wait for Christ. The Corinthian church, where he's going to spend 18 months, longer probably than anybody else, he, when he leaves, it, this church is famous for fornication, for division, for getting drunk at the community table, for suing one another. And you think Paul must look back at his track record and think, man, man, oh man, you know, <laughs> each one of these churches are kidding me. But here we are today. Because he went to Galatia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, and I don't know what kind of an assessment in time in his experience he really could have made of his own success but God knows God knows and here we are tonight amazed at his travels his preaching, what he accomplished what he's saying to us today still speaking Paul remarkably so you're going to go this week. You're going to share Christ with your friends. Hopefully the last Gentiles are going to get saved and will get raptured, so don't procrastinate. Uh, but understand the world we're in, some are going to mock, some are going to procrastinate, but some are going to believe. And that was true for the best preacher. you know? and If it was true for him, it will be true for us as well. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things as we look into them, Lord, and uh, grant to us your heart, Lord. We we survey this and we work through this and we read it and we look at it, Lord, and we're amazed at different parts of it, Lord. We're amazed when something rises off the page and it's just ours personally, Lord, that you can speak to us that way, that, Lord, there's something all of a sudden that's just more alive than it's ever been, and we're able to own that. And we hear it, and it's your voice, and you're speaking to us, Lord. Let that be true for all of us, Lord. Lord, in the days we're in, Lord, let us be contagious with the gospel of Christ. Let let your love be shed abroad from our hearts by the power of the Spirit. Let Let us infect other people. Lord, don't let us get discouraged if people mock us and make fun of us. Don't let us be discouraged with procrastination. Lord, most of us are experts at that as well. But let us, Lord, remind us there are those out there. The, the seed is going to be sown and it's going to bring forth fruit and eternal life. Give us grace to move forward, Lord, knowing our battle is not against flesh and blood, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but spiritual, the pulling down of strongholds. Lord, let us move forward in those things with great assurance that you're at work, Lord. And we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen.